0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Wednesday night edition of Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. we got a great group of people to talk this evening and give you a little sports information along the way. Of course, as always, Roy Companies is in Tampa, Florida, and we'll be going to him at the top of the show. Roger Henler has moved from Atlanta, Georgia. He is in Citizens Bank Park, waiting to see the Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies get underway. As most of you know, heavy rains here in the Northeast. And uh, right now in Citizens Bank Park, it's pouring rain, and that game is on hold. So we will going to wait to the top of the show. No dedications tonight, Frank tells me. So we'll go right to Roy. And Roy a couple of odds and ends before we get to some uh, of the sports news. Lindquist goes into the Hall of Fame. Uh, you followed his career most all the way. A, a comment about that?
0: Yeah, uh, obviously uh, no surprise there. Um, clearly, uh, extremely deserving, uh, the king as he as he was known around uh, New York, and uh, obviously one of the greatest goaltenders in Rangers history, which is saying a lot because uh, Rangers have uh, they always had great goaltending. I mean, you go back to the days of, of Gump Worsley and uh, uh, and you know Mike Richter and I mean, they've always had great goaltending, and, uh, Eric Lundquist arguably, uh, the best of the bunch. So, uh, no surprise, certainly deserved, um, an interesting class of uh, Hall of Famers for the NHL, uh, uh this, this time around. A couple of builders, I'm glad to see, uh, Hitchcock get in, uh, Pierre Lacroix, another builder, uh, it's, uh, that was a good, that's obviously a, a worthy, uh, choice. So, uh, I think did a good job this, this time around, uh, as,
1: oft, as easily is as the case. And also, Peter Lovelette gets the job after a lot of competition in New York. He's got to come in and take over the Rangers. A very strict, disciplinarian, a little bit like your fellow that you had in Tampa Bay for a long time. And is now with the Philadelphia Flyers, your thoughts on him getting the job with the Rangers? Yeah,
0: it's a good call. Uh, I
1: mean, look, I, I'm not a fa- I was not a fan
0: of uh, the decision to uh, let Gerard Gallant go. Um, but if you're going to trade out Gerard Galan for Peter LaViolette, uh, I think it's, uh, at the very least, it's an even move. I mean, I think uh, Peter LaViolette, obviously, a little bit more experience behind the bench, um, uh, a little bit more success, obviously, but uh, uh, but only really because he's been at it a little bit longer. But, um, look, uh, you know, I, I have always believed, and you've heard me say this uh, primarily about the uh, NFL, um, but I believe in... Uh, in hiring legitimate head coaches. Uh, I believe it in the NFL, and I believe it in, uh, in the National Hockey League. And Peter Laviolette is one of those guys. Uh, I've got nothing against young guys getting their shot, assistant coaches being moved up. Uh, you're seeing some of that around the NHL as well. But um, for a team like the Rangers, which is right there and ready to win, um, I think you got to go get somebody who's done it, proved it, um, had some success at it. Uh, so happy for Peter Laviolette, certainly deserving. Uh, hope he does a better job there. He's done a couple of, a
1: couple of last couple of spots, but I think that's doable. Roger, you're in citizens bank park. Uh, rain looks like it's going to come down for the whole weekend. And this is a big series between the Phillies and the Braves.
2: Yeah, it sure is Don. And, uh, it's one of those uh, nights and they think it's going to be like this, uh, for several days. And, uh, at first it was uh, supposed to, uh, have the first pitch at 715 well that's long gone now so uh anyway it's a pretty good crowd here tonight too so uh i'm just waiting for the announcement uh, to be made and i guess they're going to wait as long as they can but it is a big series and the uh, phillies had an opportunity to win last night and uh they just can't uh, score runs when they need to
1: Billy Wendell is going to be with us the next segment, and we'll talk about the films and we'll talk about what's happening in Philadelphia, along with Roger at Citizens Bank Park. Also, Dan Baker I think, at uh, Roger's side this evening, so maybe he'll join us for a minute or two as well. It <clears throat> was we, uh, a very interesting interview on yesterday, uh, Roy, and that was uh, with the owner of the New York Yankees, and uh, spoke at great late, uh, was on for almost a half an hour, I guess, uh, talking about the Yankees and talking about what they're doing and what they're not doing. And uh, Hal Steinbrenner, uh, one of the questions that was thrown at him now that the Washington franchise has been sold for somewhere near $6 billion, they throw a number out of $9 billion. Would the Steinbrenner family think of selling the New York Yankees now that they may be worth $9 billion? Your thoughts? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Boy, it almost would be
0: hard not to. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's a reason it has that value, and it's because the Yankees are just a franchise that uh, is going to constantly make you money. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the what Steinbrenners would do with the $9 billion. Um, I think they'd have more fun keeping the team, myself, and uh, and watching it win. And I mean, look, that's their legacy. That's what the Steinbrenners have become, the Yankees' owners. Um, ever since Dad uh, you know, got out of the shipyard business uh the shipping business, uh they they've been the owners of the Yankees and uh it's carried on through the second generation now and probably gonna go to a third at some point. I I don't I don't think that'll happen. I don't think they'll sell. I'll be surprised if it happens. Um doesn't mean it won't, but uh I think the I think the, the Seinbrenner I think look, there's been a very good smooth transition uh, you know, throughout the, the family. Uh, they take good care of the team, obviously. Um, they're not afraid to spend money. They, been in, they're always in contention. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, their ownership has seen this uh, franchise struggle. So uh, I think they'll be there, uh, you know, for the long term. I really do. I don't think uh, valuation is going to prompt any kind of a sale anytime soon. Well,
3: his
1: answer to the question was pretty much what you're saying. He said, this is a family business. Uh, we're in it. Our kids are in it. Now our grandchildren are going to be in it. And uh, this is a family business that we considered uh, of certainly very workable uh, amount of dollars, but we're in it for the, for the long haul and to hold the franchise. And I think you're exactly right. I think that's what he's going to do. Yeah. I'm not surprised
0: to hear him say that. Um, you know, one thing – the Suns uh, have never been as mer- mercurial as the father uh, <laughs> I mean obviously it didn't take much to set off George Steinbrenner but uh, but Hal and the Suns, uh, they've always been a little bit more cool-headed uh, you know viewed things a little bit differently I think they realized that uh, you know you can't snap your fingers and get the results you want you know there is another team out there playing uh, in a lot of cases they're just as good as you are if not better. And uh, you got to work at, uh, you know, championships aren't won just because you put more money into it. Uh, they're won with chemistry and, uh, and breaks going your way and uh, developmental systems and things like that. And uh, I think the Yankees have figured that out because, let's face it, they've, uh, they've, they've got a developmental system now. I mean, there was a time when all the Yankees did was go out and get free agents and sell off their best parts uh, to get, you know, to get uh, veteran players at the, at the, uh, at the uh, trade deadline. Uh, not anymore. They're they're bringing up players that they're uh, that they're developing. Uh, you know, Aaron Judge is one, Volpe is another. Uh, they've got a lot of guys in that uh, in that lineup now that are you know born and bred Yankees, and uh, and that's what you're looking for. I think you really want that uh, in your organization because that's how you maintain uh, you know consistency, and um, and really it's how you contend. Uh, because again, you, you're seeing what happens with the Mets. You spend 300 plus million dollars, and what have you got? Well, you got a third-place team. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's not all about the money. It, there's just a lot more to it. And I think, again, I think the uh, I think the family has figured that out. Uh, George, I don't think ever did. Um, he always thought you could just throw money at
1: it and, and it should win.
0: But that's not the case.
1: Roger, back to uh, Citizens Bank Park. Uh, the Phillies lost that tough one, as I said last night. Uh, had certainly a number of opportunities to win the game, just didn't get it done. But at the same time, they've got the Mets coming in Friday, Saturday, and Sunday—a three-game series. They've had no luck in beating the Mets in recent years. Uh, the Mets are terrible. They lost again today, ten to eight. They've scored seven runs or better in seven games, and only won one of them. And today they uh, gave up another hint. Well, they gave up uh, with final score was ten to eight. Saw the game this afternoon, and uh, so the Mets are really struggling, and the Phillies are sort of turned around after winning six in a row, then losing one, then losing last night. Your thoughts on that?
2: Well, they they had a great road trip, but they also didn't play the best uh, competition
1: on the road either.
2: And I think that's what you have to look at. And uh, they have had uh, trouble with the Mets. And I guess this will be a big series. I mean, at least with the Braves in that last series in Atlanta, they split it two and two. So I'm with you uh, about that. That uh, I I think it's going to be a very interesting series and to see whether uh, the Phillies can step up and and beat the uh, Mets because they are having trouble, the Mets.
1: Well, uh, Roy, let's go the other way because you're sitting on a powerhouse. The Rays, I saw their game this afternoon. Uh, I'll tell you, I was watching the Mets and the Rays simultaneously. Uh, The Rays started a little bit earlier. Uh, but they just keep winning and keep hitting, and the thing that surprises me, the long ball. They just keep hitting long balls. Yeah, that really is the surprise about the Rays, uh, and they're
0: coming off of a tough stretch. I mean, they had a, they had a rough road trip. Uh, you know, didn't win the series in Oakland, didn't win the series in in San Diego. So they come home. They got the the the, the uh, Orioles a big, very important series, uh, trying to maintain their five game lead on. Uh, i Baltimore, and they they've pretty much done that. Um, but you're you're right. The thing that surprised look even the people here in Tampa are surprised that the Rays are hitting for power the way they are. This is not a power team. You don't look at this team and see anybody there that that you say, okay, well there, there's a the 30 home run guy. Uh, you see the potential. Um, you know, I think before the season started, there was there talk about you know could Randy Arena be a 30-30 guy? And the question and the answer was always yes, absolutely he can. Um, but also Andy Rosarino is coming off a season where um, he didn't have some of the best at bats. You know, he'll get you the 30 steals. Uh, he'll certainly get you that because he'll get on base, but he didn't always have the smartest at bats. Um, right now he's, oh, okay. he's, he's, you know, he's being a little bit smarter in that regard. And uh, so that's one thing for him. But, um, you know, Yandy Diaz, uh, a guy who just got, you know, <laughs> Steve Garvey-like uh, arms, and uh, uh, he's finally found his power stroke. And, um, well, let's face it, Tropicana Field is not an easy place to home runs. So uh, the fact that uh, they're, they're getting home runs, you know, in the dozens out of guys like Edox Paredes, who most people don't even know about, uh, middle infield really kind of a utility player who uh, the, the, the Tigers gave up on. Uh, Randy Orozarena, uh, again, uh, uh, Yandy Diaz. I mean, these are, these are ball players that other teams had and pretty much gave up on. And the Rays have uh, turned them into uh, – as you said, a powerhouse, and uh, that's legit. They are a powerhouse. And uh, we keep wondering here in Tampa, you know, when is the power, power failure going to come? Because, again, this is not something that these guys have done historically. But uh, just the way they're, they're approaching the at-bats, uh, I don't think it's going to stop. I think they're going to continue to hit, uh, hit, hit for the power, and they've certainly got speed and defense and pitching. So uh, they are a team, obviously, to watch. I still think right now they're the best team in baseball. You to have to show me somebody
1: better to uh, take me off of I'm, that. I'm uh, doing a uh,
2: podcast.
1: Roger, the, uh, when you take a look? Uh, the Orioles are the surprise team too. Tampa Bay, of course, the surprise team winning the number of games they won already this season and continuing to play great baseball. The, the Orioles have uh, leveled off a little bit, but over the National League, the Braves are doing exactly what everybody expected. But how about Miami? Uh, all of a sudden, they lost today. Miami lost today, but uh, they've been playing very solid baseball.
2: Well, they have. I guess I just came in. I'm going to get in my car and be nice and dry uh, waiting for the outcome and to get there. So, uh, but they are, I mean, they're a surprise team just like the Orioles, but, uh, you know, I think the Rays are the class of uh, the American league. There's no doubt about it.
1: Has the game been canceled at Citizens Bank? No,
2: you know what? It's just that, uh, it's still raining and, uh, I figured I'd just get to my car, and it's quiet, and it's nasty. I mean, the wind – well, you know, you're in New Jersey. The wind was bad all day. So uh, I'm I'm walking over now. I'm an old man walking over to to get out of the elements.
1: (laughs) All right, we'll go back to Roy. Roy, uh, we sort of thought maybe your company's had a chance to make a little move, uh, but right now – they're minor and they got, Of course, the Cardinals are just unbelievable what what's happening with the Cardinals. But uh, Cincinnati, nobody expected to be anywhere. They expect them to be down the bottom of the barrel, and all of a sudden they're on top. They're the talk of baseball. I mean,
0: say what you want about the Rays, and, and they should be talked about. Uh, the Marlins, yes. Orioles, absolutely. Uh, Yankees and Mets always. Phillies, for sure. Dodgers, the way they're going. But, my gosh, the Reds have come out of nowhere, uh, won 10 in a row, to the talk of baseball, and they should be. This team's got a whole bunch of kids that nobody's ever seen, uh, yet uh, the Reds knew they were coming. The Reds knew they were coming, and, uh, and they're just, they're, they're really, look, they're, they're keepers. I mean, uh, Ellie De La Cruz uh, is arguably one of the most exciting players in baseball when he's played, what, a dozen games? Um, McLean, the, the middle infielder at UCLA, there's another one, a great little hitter. Um, they are really a fun team to watch right now because they're just, uh, they're just young and playing on raw talent. And, uh, and, and right now they're, they're just hot as, uh, hot as fire, and, which is great. I mean, yeah, the Cubs have, uh, you know, played some pretty good baseball here over the course of the last week and a half or so, uh, you know, took a series from the Pirates today. Um, but, uh, it's, it's hard to make any, any, uh, any you know make any uh, headway in that division right now because of the way the uh, the Reds are playing, the division's still up for grabs, uh, and so all those division games still are very important. Uh, Cubs going out to uh, London uh, to face the uh, Cardinals. Uh, they gotta they gotta hope they can win a couple there to stay in it because uh, the Reds are the Reds are hot.
1: And boy oh boy, are they fun to watch!
0: And how about the return
1: of Vito? Hot. He came in yesterday. Uh, I, I had a chance to see that game as well, and. Uh, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better return than he gave them in game number one. After all that time of being on the sidelines, no, you're absolutely right,
0: and uh, that's what you're looking for. You know, when when it's your turn to step up, uh, you, you got to do it. You got to help your team out, and uh, certainly he did, no doubt about it. So uh, it's, just, it's just, you know, what we're we're we we don't have any uh, any NBA right now. The NHL is done. Football is still two months away, but. Boy, if you're a sports fan, just turn on almost any baseball game right now, and I think you're going to be entertained.
1: Well, I can tell you that uh, Wake is leading LSU right now, two nothing. Uh, they scored two in the top of the first inning, and, then there's and a, uh, been watching that game while we're doing the show. <laughs> they had a chance to get a lot more. That the bases loaded, but, uh, double play took them out of uh, the bottom of the first or the top of the first inning, but they still got two. LSU is uh, an outstanding team. If you've had an opportunity and Roy, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to watch any of the uh, College World Series, but uh, LSU has played very well, and Wake has really played well.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen much of it, uh, but know some of the names. And you know what? What's interesting is we're looking at a possible SEC uh, college college baseball final uh, with Florida and LSU, perhaps. So, uh, you know, the SEC is dominant in football uh it's uh, not quite as dominant in basketball but it's certainly there to be talked about but here they are in baseball being just as dominant it's almost like uh it's almost like
1: like college football with the college baseball right now and we don't talk much about the nba but <clears throat> excuse me the number one draft choice tomorrow is a pretty much face a complete the young man that they've been waiting and waiting and waiting to be eligible and now he's going to be coming over
0: yeah, and uh you know, look, everybody's they're already starting to talk about him as the possibly the next LeBron I and mean, let's not put too much pressure on this kid. Uh let, let's see if he can play in the league first. A lot of number 1 picks uh never pan out the way they're expected to uh, no matter the sport but the NBA especially. And uh let's see if he can stay healthy number one. Let's see if he can uh, somehow adapt to the league. That's number two. Uh, let's not put too much pressure on him. Let's not forget this too. He's going to San Antonio, I'm pretty sure. So and the likelihood that he he's on a winning team for the first three four years are pretty slim. Um, that team's got a lot of work to do. He could make him he, he'll make them interesting, but uh, you know I remember a lot of guys getting a lot of uh, a lot of talk prior to the draft, and then they go to to the team, and next thing you know, uh, you know you never hear from them again. I mean, there's a couple of those guys in the league right now. There's one in L.A. There's one in uh, New Orleans. Uh, you know the league spits those guys out pretty. Pretty good. I hope that doesn't happen to the kid, but uh, so I'm anxious to see him play. But
1: uh, ab- absolutely, it's, uh, it's got everybody excited. Well, uh, thing, the thing that surprised me, the uh, first time I, I saw quite a bit of him today, they had uh, <clears throat> several uh, uh, short synopsis of uh, his play and also uh, interviews uh, during the course of uh, uh, getting ready for the draft. Very, very slender, very slender tall, yes, tall, 7'3", or whatever, 7'4", whatever he is. But, you know, when you get in there with those big guys, 260, 280, 290, uh, and you're uh, basically a high school kid coming out, uh, boy, that's a heck of a transition. Hey, Don, can I say
2: something? Yeah. uh,
4: yeah. I thought you were
1: going to the car.
4: No, (laughs) no,
1: I am. I'm
2: sitting in the car. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) But I wanted to say, you know, uh, Roy, you had a great point. Look at how many 76er first-round draft picks never even played that much in the NBA. Start I mean, with Simmons. Was, well, start, forget Simmons. He did better than a lot of the other guys. They, you Not know, very a bunch much. of uh, losers. You know, and, and uh, so you can't even – I don't care how good the, the kid is, uh, you know, coming out. I'm sure he's going to be great. I mean, that's what everybody says. But, uh, you know, only time will tell because there's been a lot of non-performers that were first-round draft picks
0: for many a team, but especially,
2: uh, as we know, the Philadelphia 76ers.
0: And, Roger, what Don just said about uh, his build, uh, I think that's a real important point. Um, Look, you're obviously going to put this kid on a weight program right away, uh, get him on a diet program, let him add – he's going to have to add some muscle because – He's going to play in the paint and, um, down in there, it gets, hard. it gets rough. It is, it's, it's a, it's a banging league right now. I mean, they bang you around all, all across the, you know, the whole league now, but the, especially down inside the paint. So he's going to have to build some, uh, build some strength. And, uh, if you can't do that, uh, again, it, it, it could be a, a disappointing run for the kid, but I'm hoping for the best obviously, uh, for him, uh, because, uh, you know, it'll be fun to watch, but, uh, at the end of the day, he's got, he's got some things he's got to do. He's got some work to put in uh, before uh, he's, he's going to reach the potential that everybody sees in him. Well, I think
1: going back to what you said with New Orleans, I mean, Williamson came out of Duke, and, uh, you know, he's a big, strong guy. But uh, he hasn't been able to withstand. He's, he's, how many games has he been out? In the last Three years since he's been out of Duke, I don't think he's played half the games. And now they're talking about maybe he'll be traded to Portland because they're not satisfied. Well, there you so go. Just, that's
0: another. Roy, that's just another example of how. Yeah, go no, ahead. You know yeah, Benalwell.
2: I was good. I just I wanted to follow up about what Roy said again, because this brings back the uh, days, the good old days of the NBA when we were all young, and uh, when you had the uh, Celtics with uh, Clyde Lovellette, Jim Luskatov, Tiny Tommy Heinsohn, and then you had with the uh, sixth, the actually the Warriors. Handy Andy Johnson, Woody Salisbury, Wilt Chamberlain—you had guys that banged it around in the in the uh, uh, in the lane, and and that's what exactly what it is now. And that it brings back those great days that I remember when I was young, seeing the uh, Warriors and the Seventy Sixers later on.
1: Roy, we'll let this segment wind up uh, with your comments on the New York Yankees. Uh... Do you think the Yankees can regroup and uh, get away from the injuries, and can Boone take them up and uh, be competitive to get to the top?
0: Well, look, the personnel is there. Uh, it's, it's not a matter of not having. You know, this, this Yankees team is deeper than it's been a lot. I mean, just like it was a year ago, they've got depth. Uh, I, I like the bullpen. Um, I think they need to pick up a starting pitcher um but if they can get everybody healthy yeah they're going to be there so right now their job is just to hang around and stay in the stay in the fight um if they can do that uh, even just get a wild card um the way the playoffs are now you just want to be in it's it's more getting more and more like uh you know the NHL and the NBA where you just you know anybody can win it you don't have to win your uh win your division you don't have to win the pennant um you know, you don't have to be the lead team in the in, in the league to, to you know to get deep into the playoffs. You just got to get there. You get there, and uh, you got the right people healthy at the right time, and they play at the highest level. Anything can happen. So uh, they just uh, they just they just took a lead on um, on the Mariners here at home. Uh, like I said, I like their depth. I like their bullpen. Uh, I, I like them to uh, to get back in the race. I don't know if they can catch Tampa, but they don't have to just yet.
1: Roy? Right. Roy, once again, thank you much for the first half hour. Excellent job again, and we'll look forward to next week, and we'll do it all over again. Have a great week. I'm already ready. All right. Looking forward to it, guys. Have a great week. Take care now. You too. Bill Wardell is standing in the wings, and Bill and I did a show together in Philadelphia today, uh, one of the outstanding talk show people in Philadelphia. Billy's been with us many, many times. does so many things well uh, with the Eagles, with the show. Uh, He does almost everything on the air. And, Billy, uh, before we get started, you heard the end of Roy's comment. That's pretty much what you and I were talking about <clears throat> at the end of your show. Anybody gets in, if the Phillies get into the playoffs, regardless of where they are, they could do the same thing they did last year, or the Yankees
4: could do it. You don't have to win anything to get there. Uh, no, it's like every, is it really, what does a regular season really mean anymore?
2: <laughs> what does
4: it mean? Does it mean, you know, you're jockeying for position for the playoffs? I mean, look, it the, seems the like the Royals and the A's and people like that uh, are, are not going to be in the playoffs. But there's so many other teams, they're like, within striking this into the wild card. I mean, you have six teams in both leagues uh, vying for the, the, the World Series. That's 12 out of 30 teams. And now they're talking about expansion. Are you kidding me? Are they going to exhume the body of Cy Young and Chris, uh, Christy <laughs> Matheson and have them come back and pitch? Man, it's absolutely absurd. Starting pitching today, in my opinion, is at an all-time, all-time low, Don and Roger. It is You're right. horrible. Absolutely Billy, horrible. Let me, let me counter
1: that point by this. The New York Mets following their game today, and they have the two most valued pitchers in baseball in terms of salary. Their ERA is 5.1 for starting pitching. 5.1 with Verlander and, and uh, you know, and today in the game against, uh, uh, who did they play? Uh, Dusty they Baker. Against Dusty That's Baker. Eight. Dusty used, a, he used seven pitchers in the game today to win it by the score of ten to 10 to 8. He beat the beat the Mets 10-8 this afternoon, and he had to use
4: seven pitchers to do it. telling you. It, it's just I remember the days. And, of course, people say, well, you're, you're an old funny-duddy. You, no, the game is no we remember by. the days. You're right, Bill. When you had nine pitchers on a staff, then they right. expanded in 10, then 11. You have 14 pitchers today on a pitching staff. You don't have the bench as you used to. You can't. Uh, switch like a, a good and, and uh, days gone by. It is not a good game right now. These analytic people, these geeks that send down the lineup to the manager, they have ruined the game of baseball. Absolutely ruined it. And they say, well, the third time through the order, our numbers show that the pitcher is slowing down. His stuff's not there. Well, you talk to great pitchers like a Steve Carlton, a Bob Gibson, a Don Drysdale, a Koufax, they always said you got to get these guys early. You got them early, you had a chance to win. But if they got in the groove, you were in trouble. We don't teach the art of pitching in the minor league. Throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. That's not a pitcher. That's That's not a a thrower. And Roger. that is the major, major problem,
2: Bill. It's not only uh, in the minors. I mean, it's in college. It's in high school. I've seen it. Yeah, I saw a number of uh, high school games in Georgia this year, and they uh, guys were in the seventies with the number of pitches they were throwing, and and they're only like sophomores in high school. I mean, it's no wonder. Uh, you, when, and then you know, in the, in the uh, we talked about this many times on the show in the little league, and uh, Babe Ruth, they go for, they play for one team, they uh, used up their amount of pitches, and then they go and play in another league for another team. So it's no wonder there's
4: arm problems, and it's going to get worse. Well, no question because they don't teach the art of pitching. No, at the lower levels all these travel teams. I thought the Milt Thompson one day was on a show with me. He has a kid that plays on four travel teams. Are you kidding me? Four travel go. teams? Yeah. That's yeah. ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. If you don't have a uniform, we're not going to play baseball. You have to have a uniform these days. Come on. Where, where are the pickup games where you play against older players and things like that to hone your skills? Well, it's not there anymore. Everybody you know, because every parent is looking for a scholarship for his kid, regardless of the sport. Oh, he's going to be the next LeBron James. He's going to be the next Bryce Harper. They're very few and far between of these players. And the parents, because they feel as though if the kid plays as much as they can in the summertime or in the wintertime, they're going to be exposed. How many of these kids fall by the wayside? get burnt, burned out by the time they're 16, 17 years old. We are doing injustice to the youth of America.
1: Absolutely. Billy, you also mentioned today, uh, which was uh, very informative to me. I didn't uh, go back and look it up until after you said it. Harper's been up 156 times so far this year. He's hitting the ball effectively, but he only has three home runs. Your thought on that?
4: Well, again, Don, he's coming off the major surgery. I mean, he made tremendous strides getting back. But, again, you know, he didn't have spring training. I mean, he's going to have those power outages. But, you know, again, he's a very, very good player. And you saw what he did in the playoffs last year. He put the team on his back. Right. You look at the team across the street, Joel Embiid and, and James Harden, these guys couldn't wait for the playoffs to be over, all right? They wanted to be on vacation. Hartford was, you know, so dedicated uh, to putting his team on his back and getting him to the promised land. Of course, they fell short to the Astros, but he did everything in his power. I- I'm, a- I'm a little concerned about the power, but not overly concerned. And one thing that really bothers me, they're starting this Paul Goldschmidt campaign to bring him in. How many power hitters do you need in a lineup? <laughs> huh? you got Harper. You have Castellanos getting out of the ballpark. You have Schwarber, Turner, Riamuto, Bone. You, you can't have four 40 home run hitters in every lineup. It, it, it's impossible. You have guys on base. <laughs> I mean, the main, major issue for the Phillies is a fifth starter. They've got to get that fifth starter in the rotation. They've got to unload that opener because that's the worst thing that ever came to baseball. It's terrible. Roger?
2: Well, you're exactly right, Bill. And the uh, you just cannot continue to go through the season with a fifth starter. And now, you know, I don't know whether Painter is going to make it this year or not. I mean, you know, he was big things were expected from him. And, obviously, uh, he's been on the I.L. But uh, I guess if he came back, uh, that might solve the problem. But, uh, you know, who knows? But they need to get a fist starter. I mean, a a real, real, uh, authentic uh, fist
4: starter. That's what they need. Here's the deal with Painter. The guy can really get it up there 97, 98 miles an hour. What the hell are they trying to teach him a cutter at 19 years old? Let him progress gradually. Let him develop his two or three pitches right now. Then maybe down the road add another pitch to his arsenal. Don't fool around with a young player. Let the young player develop. And then if if you think he has to add another pitch, then add it to him when he has two or three, four years in the big league. Uh, These guys today, they've ruined Scott Kingery. Chuck Kingley was a line-drive hitter, a gap hitter. He had to pull the ball, hit home runs. They gave him $30 million, dollars, and he yeah. can't to the major league. Come on, let, let these guys grow as players. Don't try to change their swing, try to change their delivery, try to give them another pitch. It's totally absurd. Really one point
1: uh, you and I chatted about, too, and that is uh, where the Phillies are right now. I thought this was an important series just to establish themselves against the Braves. Uh, They lost game number one. Uh, I think they they really have to win this this series. It's a three-game series. I think they've got to win it. And then when the Mets come in, they're playing terribly against the New York Mets. I mean, both clubs are bad enough that they're going to probably get in the playoffs anyway. But I still think it's important that the Phillies establish themselves as a better team than the New York Mets.
4: I agree with you, Don, wholeheartedly. I mean, the the Mets can't even find a locker room, let alone play (laughs) effectively (laughs) on the field. I mean, $355 million. That's a great investment for Mr. Cohen. I mean, we've talked about this on this show. You can't buy a championship. You've got to develop your own talent that only goes so far. A free agent here, a free agent there, fine. You can't load up on free agents because basically these guys are mercenaries. They're only interested in the money, you know, a lot of times it's their last contract. So are they committed to the organization? They didn't come through the organization. Go back to 1980, the Phillies. Kaczynski, a product of the system. Fola, a product of the system. Boone, Schmidt, products of the system. Yeah, they made a trade for Manny Trio. They brought Pete Rose in as a free agent. They made a trade for McBride and Maddox. But they had their core players that were through the system, and that's what you have to do, build through your system. And when you build up a solid minor league system, This gives you an opportunity to go out and make those trades. When you don't have a great system, you're in trouble. You look at the Baltimore Orioles right now. The Orioles are loaded. 100 100 prospects in Major League Baseball, 10 wear the Orioles uniform. 10 Mm. of the top 100 prospects. That's amazing. Now they can make a deal for a veteran player. They don't have to go crazy in free agency. That's the way you build a team. Don, you live down in the uh, Sarasota area. You're exposed to the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. They don't spend a lot of money. You don't have to spend millions and millions of dollars to win a championship. You have to spend judiciously. And a lot of these teams spend money like a drunken sailor on a Friday night.
1: And, Billy, they've done it with three different general managers going all the way back to Freeman, yep. who's been there with the Dodgers for, what, 10 years? They've done it with three different general managers, three different systems, three different managers. Roger, you're up.
2: Well, th- th- I think what, j- just what, Bill, what you were saying about the way they ruined Kingery, and that was all analytics, and uh, and that was Clintack. Uh, you know, and uh, Gabe Kapler. I mean, they that was there was two years there that they destroyed the team. They, the team could have been building and been two two years up instead of uh, two years behind. And and this analytics drives me crazy too. And I feel bad. I mean, Kingery got it money, but I watch. I look at his uh, uh, you know uh, numbers in uh, on MLB. Every day, because, you know, I really think I loved him as a player if they had allowed him to develop like you said. But they didn't. They ruined the poor kid, and he'll probably never make it to the major leagues again.
4: Well, the, the problem is the guy's hitting one way effectively. Leave him alone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Don't
4: try to change anybody's swing. Now, if he's really struggling as a player, you've got to sit down and say, okay, we've got to make some adjustments. But when you try to change the young player and figure this is the way we're going to approach it, this comes down to really ruining a young man. It really does. I think you have to let the player progress as a player. Now, if he's not hitting the ball well, look at Larry Boa. Mm-hmm. Larry Boa was a guy that many people didn't think would ever hit in the big leagues. He was a lifetime 260 hitter. sixty in the big leagues. He had one bad year, the 211 year, and the rest were very productive years. He made himself a good hitter. He didn't change his swing or anything like that, but he made himself a good player. But, you no know, question about guys, it. These, no these question about are... it, Bill. You're exactly right.
1: And why he only got a minimum number of votes, or you know, he got off the ballot in the, first, in the very first year that he was on because he didn't get the quota needed to be carried over to the next year. But you're right. Bola, you know, you go to Cincinnati and Philadelphia, the two best shortstops during that era in in the the National League. But I can't let you go before we run out of time. The NBA draft is tomorrow night. Uh, The Sixers already made their uh, big move. They got rid of Doc. Uh, Where do the 76ers
4: stand right now? Where do they stand? They're still a team that will not get out of the second round of the playoffs. And the NBA draft is an absolute bore. Because the Sixers do not have a first-round pick. I don't think they have a second-round pick. No, they don't. They don't don't have Tobias. They're trying to move Tobias Harris. I mean, again, you know, you look at this Sixers team, and you look at the one thing that really I don't understand. They hired Sam Minky. It was a total disaster, right? Four Mm -hmm. years of nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nerlens Noel, uh, Okafor, Michael Carter Williams. It was an absolute, you know, abomination. Who do they hire? if they were the Colangelo's, who also ruined this team with bad trades and bad graphics? They hired Daryl Morey. How many championships does he have? None, zero. And Sam Hinkie was a disciple, worked with Daryl Morris. Why would Josh Harris, as a six-year brain trust hire a guy that the first guy they brought in, he almost ruined the franchise?
1: Well, Roger, Josh up.
4: Harris is more interested in getting a Washington
2: football team and, <laughs> and uh, than he is any team, either team that he owns now. This guy's just – I mean, all he's interested in, we talk about it every week,
4: about he's not interested in the success of his teams. Well, again, he's a money guy, and he has, Well, he has the the Commanders, he has the Devils, the Sixers. He needs a baseball team. Maybe he could buy the Oakland A's, or maybe (laughs) he could buy the Kansas City Royals. I mean, then he'd have four teams in four sports. So who do you root for? You know, you look at John Middleton, he's committed to the Phillies. You look at Lori, he's committed to the Eagles. You have the the Flyers' new management with Keith Jones. They are committed. I don't know if they're committed with the Sixers. I mean, every year, oh, they're going to get by the second round of the playoffs. Every year they lay a colossal egg. Every thinking year.
1: No question about that. Everybody expected them to go deep, uh, you know, and Doc just couldn't get it done. And the one thing about it, Billy, uh, you and I have talked about it uh, many times. One of the biggest uh, knocks against Doc was every time he got a big lead of 18 or twenty points. not every time, but yep. that's an exaggeration. But you get a team with an 18 or 20 point lead, and they lose the
4: game. Yeah, that, 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 that should not happen. If you're a great team. But, you know, you look at Embiid, he'll be 30 years old when the playoffs start next year. Time's running out for him. And I do not want to hear people say or compare him to Wilton Norman Chamberlain. No. Sir. There is n- no way Embiid is in the same ballpark
1: Yo, as Chamberlain. Terrible. Terrible.
4: Chamberlain was the most dominant big man ever to put on a uniform.
3: Amen. He do with
4: every one on the floor. If you wanted to score 50, he'll score 50 that night. If he wanted to have 20 assists, he'd have 20 assists. They kept lock shots when Louis would have 15 a night. If he wanted to get 45, 50 rebounds, he did it. And when he did that, 55 rebounds was against Bill Russell. It wasn't some patty cake (laughs) center from another team. And look at the centers that he went against, Bill,
2: compared to Uh, what the centers are today.
4: Russell, Embry, you get down to Clyde LaVella. You mentioned guys like that. I mean, it was, and they changed so many rules with it. Will yeah. widening the lane, you couldn't guide the ball in the basket. Well, all mm-hmm. those rules were implemented because of Will Chamberlain.
1: And also, the widening of the lane was instituted by the fact that Will Chamberlain Absolutely. was so That's dominant. What I
4: said. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Said they, had, you know. they had to widen the lanes, otherwise he would have <laughs> he would have scored a hundred points more than once. <laughs> so Bill, let's go jump over to the Eagles real quickly. Uh, your thoughts on the Eagles?
4: I'd be very disappointed they don't win 12 games and they're not back in Vegas for the Super Bowl. They've got the best quarterback in the NFC. He's the only franchise quarterback in the NFC. And they they really have stockpiled players. The only position I'm a little concerned about is that right guard position. See with the Steelers now. The Eagles have got to look at a veteran. Now, Howie Roseman's probably being very judicious right now. They have Cam Jerrion plugged in there. Talk about Tyler Steen, the third-round pick out of Alabama. But I'm a little nervous of that right guard position. Da- Dalton Reisner is out there, former Denver uh, guard, who played 62 games already in the NFL. I think they need a veteran offensive lineman to go plug him in and next to Kelsey and Lane Johnson because right now this team's built to go back to the Super Bowl and there's only so many opportunities to go back to the Super Bowl this time they got to win it
2: and Roger absolutely
4: I totally agree
2: and I think that that is really the most important opening that they have to fill I agree with you Phil and but I I will be really uh, sad and surprised and, and let down if they don't get back to the Super Bowl. I mean, the 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 talent that is, has uh, been drafted and as, is is now you know you talk about deep uh,
4: talent pool. That's what you got with this team now. Absolutely, I mean they can rotate eight nine defensive linemen every game. Three legitimate pass rushers. The linebacking situation has going to play itself out with two new guys there. And a, and a safety position, but this team is loaded for bear. Jalen Carter—I mean, he slipped the number nine, and the Eagles were able to get him. But I mean, this this is an opportunity now uh, for the Eagles to really make their mark in the next couple of years.
1: Billy, as always, thank you very much for your segment.
4: We I, best, I say Bill. it's
1: always a lot of fun to get together with you. But as always, give us your calling card when you open up every day. Give us your calling card on our show.
4: All right. You can listen on WCAT 95.3 on the FM dial, WCAT 1520 on the AM dial, WCAT 1520.com, Facebook as well, and you always can follow me on Twitter, the Wernendale, W-E-R-N-D-L. Thoroughly enjoyed the show, Don. Anytime, you and Roger, I'm always there for you guys. Billy, you're the best. Thanks, you're the boy. best, Billy. Thank you very, very much.
1: Take care,
2: Bill, as always. It's great to talk
1: to you. You're the best.
3: Hey, Don. Don, before we go to uh, Tony, I know Tony's uh, business conference a bit, you know what, we have an announcement to make. A very good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Vincent Papali, uh, Papali, Jr., was just named to the All-USFL team. uh, All right. So we want to congratulate him. He will be on with us next week.
2: Oh, Terrific!
1: Fantastic. Terrific. Yeah. All right, let's swing over to golf right now because the traveling golfer is with us. He's played on almost a 1,000 golf courses. He's got his own show on both radio and television. Tony Leodora, I'm sorry I missed you at the, in Atlantic City. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they wouldn't give Frank a press press for us to go down or I would have been there. But anyway, Tony Leodora is our special guest. And, Tony, a couple of things. One uh, – if you would explain to me, and, and I didn't get the explanation during the course of the uh, the open, how was Rory able to move that ball out of the hill up on the top and relocate without a penalty?
2: Uh, you know, those guys get some very, very favorable drops, uh, whether it's because of line of sight, and that's probably the case there. Uh, you know, where there was obstruction in the line of sight. But they get drops that us amateurs wouldn't get. I know if I ask my partners for a uh, – my fellow competitors uh, for a drop like that, sometimes they look at me like I was crazy. Uh, so <laughs> they often uh, get very, very special rules interpretations uh, that, you know, have a, a pretty wide parameter
1: on them, and that's what happened in that case. Unbelievable! I mean, he reaches in, takes the ball out of the side of the hill, and he gets a two-club lay lay up on top of the hill, almost in the fairway. I mean, it was I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, they, there's all kinds of things that they can point to: television lines, uh, you know, stands, construction. Right. So, you know, if they if they feel that they've got a snack stand too. Fairways over that uh, might be in their line of sight. <laughs> then you know they give them, a, they let them move the ball a little bit. And, Roger, you uh, that but that didn't have any really any impact on it. So you nothing, know, tell nothing me. was stopping Wyndham Clark. i I'll tell you what we you know we have people coast to coast and they see you on TV and and everything, and uh, yeah, right. you know I. Yeah, I, you know, when did you? Uh, because I first knew you. Obviously, you're a sports editor of the Norristown paper. Okay, going right. back, but when, let people know. Because look at your career in the golf field. When did you first decide to make the move? And were, how long? How young were you when you started playing golf? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't play golf. Until I was 27 years old. I was playing. Baseball and you know, I'm sure Don will be the first to tell you that baseball heads didn't look that favorably at the golf guys, and <laughs> you know it was, it was a different it was a different thing. But when different I took world. the job at, yeah. at the time, Charles, the assistant um, sports editor to the late great Red McCarthy, he told me you got to play golf. You, you're going to have to play golf. You meet a lot of people there. You're going to talk. You're going to have good stories. Uh, so I started playing golf. That, that was that was pretty much it. I was 27 years old at the time. And, and now you've played 25. how many courses? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm getting up over 950. Uh, I was just putting away the uh, scorecards from my latest five-week trip that had me all over the place, and I played almost 20 new courses on that trip. So I'm over 950, somewhere like that. Now, Roger. those shows those shows that you just did, okay, over the uh, several weeks, when will they yeah. be on Comcast? Uh, do you have okay. a schedule to let people know? Oh, my gosh, yes. So um, the July show is a show nobody wants to miss. Uh, our producer has already said this is going to be the best show of the year. It was a show we did from both. The Yingling, the Historic Yingling Brewery in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, and mm-hmm. Historic Schuylkill Country Club. Uh, we did it along with the one and only Dick Yingling, and uh, he's a member of Schuylkill. And as if that wasn't enough, we had a special guest star with us for that show, Tommy Green, former Phillies pitcher, and mm-hmm. uh, a monster of a guy, great guy. I mean, he is he's in his 50s, and he is in... Incredible incredible shape, and uh, we played a hole together and I'm gonna in
0: in in the
2: fairness, I have to say it was a little bit downhill, but nothing too severe three hundred and forty one yard drive mm. he mm. hits a ball like like you could not possibly believe and uh you'll see in that show that uh at that time I said, well, folks. Now you know why they call him Long Ball Green.
3: <laughs>
1: however, well, Tony, last time we got together however, over however, Venice, uh, line, little, uh, however, in Venice, you were doing a
2: little little musical thing
1: in Venice. Tony's wait, not wait,
2: finished, wait. Don. Tony's wait not punchline. Don't step on the punchline, Don. Yes. Uh, go then, ahead. However, he's I thought that was the punchline. Yeah, he got that nickname when he was a pitcher for the Phillies. Right, right. <laughs> so, so he looked at me and said, I'm going to get you for that 10 minutes later. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: when we Okay, got to let, let, weather, let me get I'm back cold. to my question. Let me get back to yes, my question. Yes, Last time we got together, uh, I had not known you had been, been a little under the weather. Uh, uh, you were good then, I'm assuming, with you making the trip, the big trip you made for your uh, golf tour, everything is under control. Well, you in good shape now?
2: I made it through it. It was the Batan Death March. It was uh, five weeks on the road, with uh, driving from Southwest Florida uh, all the way up the coast, and all the way to northernmost Pennsylvania, and all the way back again. Stops <laughs> along the way, we did we shot stuff in uh, Savannah, Georgia, Hilton Head, Myrtle Beach, uh, up to the Jersey Shore for the uh, LPGA Shoprite Classic, the Philadelphia area. Made a stop at my old club, Bluebell Country Club, had. Uh, some great fun there, and then up to Yingling and Phil, and then up to the Pocono Mountains, Eagle Rock, the beautiful resort up there, where we're hoping to do a show later on this year. And then up to Blue Ridge Trail, all the way up there with great friend Tony Barletta, who runs that place, and we shot a thing about his food operation there. And then all the way back, stopping in Greenville, South Carolina, on the way at the Incredible cliffs, seven golf courses, the Cliffs communities, seven Mm -hmm. mountain golf courses, two by Tom Fazio, two by uh, Jack Nicklaus, uh, another one by uh, uh, Ben Wright, uh, another by Gary Player, and it was pretty cool. And uh, we're hoping to do shoot two shows there in October, so we're put all that together, and then I got home five weeks of (laughs) five weeks on the road. Roger. You know, one of the things that uh, I saw or today uh, – actually, I listened to it driving over uh, to pick Dan up – was uh, they did a story on Yingling uh, on Fox Business today. And it was really interesting because they, talk, yeah, they talked about Dick, but his four daughters are running the company now. And each one of them was on there and talked about uh, what they are doing, uh, their position in the company. Very interesting. Uh, I wish I could have seen it, but I was listening to it on the radio. But uh, I was glad that you were there, and and uh, and I saw this or heard this today. It was a great story on the history of Yingling. It is the oldest America's oldest brewery, and uh, and Dick just turned eighty. But don't think he's not involved. Yes, his four daughters each have a role. Dick's at the brewery by like five thirty in the morning checking over operations, going through the brewery itself. If need be, he gets on a forklift and drives it around. (laughs) He he is the most hands-on guy in the world. And, of course, they are at max, max production level right now. They can't make it fast enough. Their sales of their two newest products, the Yingling Light Lager, which has actually been out for over 10 years, Um, and it's my – favorite uh, of their line uh it, sales of that is up 70 percent so far this year and their newest one yingling flight which is the low carb low calorie one like competition to milk michelob
1: ultra is up 50 mm-hmm. percent this year so uh, they can't make the beer fast enough well i'm Tony really to make- our special guest this segment of the program tony of course travels the world with the golf and uh, as you just outlined, uh, his latest tour. And, uh, Tony, when you, uh, when you talk about uh, the traveling golfer and how you got started and how you got into golf from the beginning and how many courses you've actually played, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, what did you think of the 19, uh, the 2023 United States Open?
2: I thought it was a good one. Uh, I, I liked seeing a different course uh, in the spotlight, uh, Los Angeles Country Club. Uh, designed by George Thomas, who grew up, you know, right right in White Marsh Township. This, of course, his first design was White Marsh Valley Country Club before he went out to the West Coast and did Riviera. So it was a, um, you know, it was a different look, um, and it was it was great to see that. I thought the course played well. Um, it, they were worried the first day or so because scores were too low. Right. I don't care about it. I want to see good shots. I want to see a good story. And I thought you had one. You had two good stories. Uh, you had the Ricky Fowler story for three days that was just incredible, and then equally incredible, a journeyman golfer, twenty nine years old, uh, hadn't done anything till a month and a half ago up in North Carolina. He won a, a tur- his first tournament ever, and then he comes back and wins the U.S. Open. Uh, you know, Wyndham Clark. It just
1: Sometimes yeah, he won the Wells Fargo up in North Carolina, surprisingly, yeah, well as you wanted. said, and then three weeks later, uh, just dominant all the way around on, on, on the Open. It was amazing, amazing yeah. story. Roger.
2: Well, it just goes to show you. It's just like in any sport, uh, all of a sudden uh, somebody wins, and uh, and then they they win a big tournament. In that case, and I, I congratulate them. I, I think it's fantastic. When you get a guy at his age, I mean he's young, but I'm I'm saying to to win his first tournament and then all of a sudden win one of the uh, the big four. I mean that, yeah. that says a lot. Now it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, from here on if it continues, or does he become the Andy North of this era, Andy North who won two U.S. Opens and really did nothing else in his career except become a an analyst on TV. So. Uh, I, I don't know how it happens sometimes. I, I almost feel like somebody sells their soul to the devil—the old, you know, damn Yankees thing. Uh, but and, and and they jump up out of nowhere. And, and like I said, with Ricky Fowler too, was there any reason at all to think that he might be able to contend for three days? Well, have to sit at the top of the leaderboard for three
1: days and and contend at a U.S. Open.
2: Not only contend, but he
1: tied t- the record. He shot sixty-two the first day. Yeah. Of course, they tied. They tied him at sixty-two, but that was the course record for the open when he said it.
0: Well,
2: that's golf. It's the craziest of sports. You know, I don't think you see it in in any other sport uh, where somebody can jump up out of nowhere and and you know beat the rest of the world. You know, you might see a pitcher have a good game or a have a, a particularly good game, but to uh, come out of nowhere and have a dominant World Series or something like that, it doesn't happen, not, not from the also Rams and, and let's face it, that's where Wyndham Clark was until on, on this particular U.S. Open. I don't want to take anything away from the guy, but just it, it, something
0: about golf is different.
2: It, it breeds this kind of, uh, you know,
0: red-hot, poker-hot performance, and, and
2: sometimes it lasts for a while, and sometimes it goes away forever. Well, to well, we'll wind we up with a, this, uh, the one
1: thing that they did say consistently was that they were the best fairways they ever played on and the best greens they ever played on. And even yeah. though some of the players like Fitzpatrick and some of the others who uh, was last year's winner complained about the course itself, uh, they didn't, couldn't complain about the conditions. Tony Leonora is our special guest. Tony, I thank you so much for being with us again. Are you back in Venice? I am
2: back in Venice and uh, happy to be here resting up. I've got a uh, singing performance Saturday night at Jeff Rolfs on Ami Ami Trail. I was there.
1: I was there. Yeah. (laughs) Tony never stopped. (laughs) <laughs> no, Tony, no. Let me just yeah, let me just give Tony way. a little plug because he also does around the country, not just in Venice, Florida. I guess he did something while you were on the tour too. Yeah. He does a Frank Sinatra piece and a uh, terrific, terrific show. He does it at a number of country clubs, uh, a number of uh, dining venues like uh you're just talking about outside of Venice. Uh that's your next assignment? That's uh,
2: this Saturday and then I uh, just the uh – finished signing up a bunch of ones uh, going through October at the new Italian Grill. Two younger guys from the Bronx redid the entire place incredibly uh, right there in Sarasota. Again, on Tamiami Trail, check out com for that schedule. We'll have them up there pretty soon. Are you Tony, going to be thank up you in very, Dandy very Jersey much once all, again.
1: Terrific, terrific having a chance Tony, to talk right, with right. you and joining us on the show.
2: Yeah, hold on a minute, Don. Tony, yes, yes. are you going to be up in uh, the Jersey Shore at all? Because we have a friend of mine who is on with us now called in uh, Lou Zoto, and he's down in Longport, but uh, he oh. is in Florida half the time. And uh, we graduated in uh, '61 from Haverford High School. So Norris Town was Jim Williams in that yeah. era. Was you know, you know Jim? Great guy. Went to sure Temple. Do. So Lou, uh, you know Tony Leodora used to be the uh, sports editor of the Norris County paper. So I'm sure that you read him because you were in the restaurant were in the restaurant business, and uh, you know the uh, and you can you I'm sure you're aware of his performing. If you weren't, you you are now. So <laughs> welcome, Lou. All right, hey Rod, thanks a for that. And, yes, I just went through Longport when I was up there last week. Uh, went went right through there, Margate, Longport, down in Stratton, <coughs> visiting with uh, Vincent Piazza, Mike Piazza's brother. We had a nice day together. So I was all through that area, but I don't know whether I'll be back again this summer. We'll see. Okay. Well, take care. It's always great talking to you, Tony.
3: You're the best. Great thanks, Tony.
2: Don, thanks for having me on, brother. I'll see you soon.
1: Okay, fellas, i tell you, great segment. Thanks again. Tony Leodora, and we'll have him on many times talking golf, talking about everything else. And uh, right now we're going to switch gears, but Frank has a public service announcement he wants to get in first before we go to Mike.
3: Yeah, yeah John, I just got a, a text from uh, Mike Simsack who had to cancel tonight uh, due to the death of his uncle, uh, the Reverend Dr. Kenneth Barrett. Uh, I knew Ken is a uh senior deacon for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Uh, very good man, very pious man. Um, we sent our deepest uh, re- regrets out to, to uh, Mike and his family, and, and it's a very t- tough time. If everybody would just keep a good thought uh, for Dr. Barrett, um, we'd appreciate it.
1: Well, Mike Simzak uh, is usually with us every single week, and uh, we talk uh, – his uh, forte primarily is soccer. A lot of things going on in the soccer world we could have talked about tonight. I apologize that uh, I certainly wish him the best of luck. He and his family, it's got to be a terrific loss. Uh, Absolutely. But the U.S. – pardon me? No, I
2: was just saying, I agree. And uh, the Atlanta, they, uh, they're they tied in their, their uh, soccer game. But that is a uh, tremendous loss, and we send out our uh, sympathy and condolences to the entire Simzak family. I thought uh, Frank had said that uh, uh, my friend Lou Zoto uh, was, uh, you know, uh, ready to be on, but I don't know whether uh,
3: he is. Alu he's
2: is. Oh, he is. Oh, Lou. Yeah, he's been- Yeah, I'm right here, Rod. Oh, okay. Listen, here's I told you about the legendary Don Henderson. So, <laughs> yeah. the, Don, you may have been in his diner many times. Warminster, uh, what was it, West? Right. West. And, uh, yeah, di- big diner restaurant, was in the the restaurant business. We went to Haverford and then Temple. Uh, I remember the day he met his wife, in accounting class at Temple. <laughs> it goes back many years. But, Don, I told him that you run this show, and uh, he called in, and uh, now he gets to talk to Mr. Gold, the legendary Don Henderson.
1: Well, I'll tell you, that's very nice of you to say, but uh, Mr. Carroll is the one that actually is our executive producer and runs the show. I'm just over here as a participant, but uh, nice to chat with you. And, yes, indeed, I have been in your establishment uh, many, many times.
5: Oh, thank you for being my customer. (laughs) Well, the
3: prices were right.
5: uh, (laughs) You know, Lou, uh,
2: you know, you and I talked uh, earlier today, and since we have a little bit of time, about the uh, uh, education of young people today. And I know Don and Frank and I have talked about it many times. And I had the opportunity the last year and a half to do a lot of subbing in Georgia, and it was really uh, a great experience. And, uh, but it's really, we all agree that uh, we were very fortunate uh, to uh, grow up in the era that we did. And uh, we really feel uh, sorry and concerned about uh, the kids today. And, um, you know, I I know about our years at Haverford, and I was going through uh, the yearbook and seeing some of the the names. And, you know, unfortunately, we've lost the number. But, you know, you and I are still here. But, um, you know, you had some really good points. Go ahead and, and make them while you're on about that.
5: Lou. Oh, you're talking about me making the point. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted you. Yeah.
2: Uh, some of the points that, cause we've all made them and it's good to have somebody a different voice,
5: uh,
2: uh, come in and, and talk about it.
5: Well, it certainly isn't the way that we grow up. You know, we were very parent oriented. We took care of our parents and stuff like that. And also today's kids, You know, with the computers, the iPhone, the iPad, you lost that, I think, kind of really closeness to a degree. And then according to the studies out today, the kids are even more depressed today than they ever were because they're hiding in their rooms or looking at the computer, the iPad, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, You know, we were always there for our family and members. Where the kids today, they're into their own world, their own thing. And, yes, they should be and did their own thing, but they don't have that caring attitude that we had.
1: Right. Well, well the big piece in the New York Post yesterday, the day before, about exactly what you're talking about, and between uh, 17 and 35, uh, the mental problems and uh, the negative thoughts within the youngsters' uh, minds, the negativity that they live with, uh, causing the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, death penalties and so forth – uh, has really grown. us now at 40. This last survey, which came out yesterday or the day before, 47% of the youngsters between 18 and 35 are living through what they consider to be this depression because of exactly what you're saying.
5: Yes. And, it, you know, it, I think it all goes back to when, you know, the, during the Vietnam War when women wanted their rights and they wanted to go out and work and We don't have that same family unity that we had, where mom stayed at home and made sure the kids were doing all the right things, and then we played good cop and bad cop, you know? I don't think that goes on as much anymore.
2: Well, you know, one of the uh, points I made
5: uh, when I was at one of the high
2: schools to the football players, I told them the story about one of our classmates who was a really good football player. And you were on the team with him, and he got—he was seen by an assistant coach smoking in the back of the bus coming in to school. And he went to Jim Shiplett, you know, you know, the head yeah. football coach, and he was told, "You will never play another damn for this school." And that was it. And right away, when I told the story, all these uh, players said to me he didn't get a second chance and i said not in those days you did something against team rules that was it and you, and uh, you know you remember what uh, sid young used to do to us in uh, in gym or in cl- any class 25 <laughs> get them <laughs> 50 get them <laughs> you know don we have talked about discipline a lot of times for, for all sports okay on the show and frank uh, you know, you and I have talked about it. We've all talked about it. But I can tell you it, it's a different world as far as discipline goes with uh, in athletics. And, Frank, you know is better than anybody uh, because, you know, you're close to your grandchildren and you've coached and everything.
3: And, uh, you know, uh,
2: you agree with that, Frank? Yeah,
3: Roger, I do. I think there's entirely too much um, iPads, iPhones, uh, and he was, was right about uh, being uh, stored up in your room. Don, I did read that uh, that article also. Uh, there is a, a major, major problem with the young people uh, coming up today with depression. And everybody's trying
1: to... Do you believe, find Frank, that it could be to... 45%? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> that, yeah. That's sad.
2: Yes, I do. That's
1: very sad.
5: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Well, I think, we can do, I think
5: parents today take you know, the easy road, you know? It's easy to say, go get your iPad and go play, and then they can do whatever they want to do, you know what I mean? Instead of being on top mm-hmm. of things or, you know, eardropping and, and seeing what they're doing, like we used to do in the old days, you know? To make oh, I just think you have to remember back. that
1: they're isolating themselves either in their rooms or in a yeah. cellar or someplace else yeah. Yeah. with these with these crazy game shows and, and everything, all this kind of stuff that they're looking at. And they, don't, they don't have any friends. They don't go anywhere. They don't do anything. They isolate themselves. I mean, it's terrible.
2: Well, I'll give you a perfect example. I saw this last week. Uh, my son's kids wanted to go to this place called, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Keejung Tea. It, it's a—it's like smoothies, but it, it's, I guess it's tea. And uh, it was, it was, it's immediate, okay, I think on uh, State Street. And I took them there, and it's obviously uh, owned by uh, Asians, and there were two young kids there. And the boy was on his uh, laptop, and the little girl had her iPhone, like, right up to her eyes, laying on the couch. And I went over to the boy, and I said, are your parents the owners? Yes. And he was going, going to be going into fourth grade. I would think she's probably going into second grade. But my point is they will be there every day because the parents own the business. They will never be out to get to play in the air just like we used to do, okay, and go and play ball. It's just, they're, you're exactly right. There they are. Tied up every day, I don't know if it's seven days a week or not, but it's many days during the week. And, and there's no, that's just a perfect example, unfortunately, of what we're all talking about. And I saw it last week.
3: Yeah, the other thing, Roger, that uh, plays into it uh, is that we've lost the art of the family sitting down together, having meals together with no phones, no, no nothing, and just talking uh, to each other. Uh, yeah. It's because of the way the, the inflation is and everything else. There's two two people working in the family, uh, and they don't have time a lot of times. The kids, again, are left to their devices. If you look back uh, at the Stoneman Douglas, if you look back at the colony, if you look back at some of these major shootings uh, that have been done by young people, that's exactly what happens.
1: Frank, yeah. they say that's a magnetism of blue blood. Because they yes. end that show every show, and it's been on now 18 consecutive years, and they say that the magnetism of that show is the final scene when they all sit around a table the way it used to be as we remembered. And that's and, and great. Right. Right. Yeah, the older people yeah. gravitate right to. Them. They remember what it was like.
2: Yeah, sure. yeah, and that's why it's back for another season, and it's a shame. Uh, that uh, they don't have on the air today. They don't have more shows like, you know, we used to see Father Knows Best, Ozzy and Harriet. I mean, we're going back, but, uh, you know, right. you can still see some of these shows. Uh, no, you're a lot older than we are. Back. Frank
1: and I are a lot younger.
5: Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. 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 <laughs> so Lou and I
1: want... are, uh, we're
2: the
5: children. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've become children, right? Going into that stage. Yeah. We're yeah. going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the inter- another interesting thing that you were commenting on was when we were younger you know we either played uh pose ball half ball we interacted with one another a lot more to- in those days than being on the computer and we always wanted to be outside playing with you know our friends Absolutely. all the time absolutely and and today it's it's just not that way they and the parents are tired now when they come home because both of them are working. They're exhausted, and they really either don't have time to have family dinners or they just, don't, they just want to relax and let the kids do what they want to do. You ever go into a restaurant watch them, keep the kids quiet? <laughs> give them the iPhone. Give them an iPad. Yeah, let them play. Yeah. You're
2: exactly right. Yeah, you know, I I
5: can. No, they don't know it. how to
1: communicate with one another. That's the problem. No, they don't.
5: That, that, they no. have no
1: clue as to how to communicate during a dinner, or or during going out to a restaurant. All they want to do is put those things on the table yeah. and look at them yeah. until the dinner gets there and then they eat it and they get up and leave. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it.
5: And where we yeah, and where we just had more when we didn't have that, we had more interaction with absolutely with kids as adults. And, and everything we just don't have that interaction anymore.
2: Well, you, you know, Lee, you, you had a good point about playing stickball or whatever we used to when I was, you know, in ninth grade, junior high, and we the right. uh, some woman called the uh, state police on us. And I think I know who it was, but you know, I'm I am do not not for sure. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't one of the mothers of us, the kids there I've <laughs> been playing because we lost our bus privileges. And we had to get, we had to go into Mr. Laramie's office and explain what we were doing. And he says, "How come you didn't break it up right away when you saw the state trooper?" I said, "Mr. Laramie, that state trooper was on top of us before we could do anything, you know." And then my you know, my parents, "How come you lost your bus privileges for playing stickball up at the corner?"
4: <laughs> you
2: know, so those it's it's a different world and uh and I can tell you, you know, with what educators have to go through. But I found that if you explain, in high school especially, if you explain why you were doing something and, the, and you have the rationale and example that usually the uh, students accept it, that's what it takes, but to explain
1: why you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we have to thank our guests because uh, – Doug Hamilton is ready to go in the next segment. Okay. Thank you very much for stepping Lou in. Lou
2: Soto. Thank you. We'll have, we'll call in any time, Lou. You got the number, and you and I will be getting together anyway, that's for sure. So,
5: I appreciate right. it. Take care.
1: Take care. God bless. Take care. Thank you, you very much.
5: Doug you, Hamilton
1: is up next. And, uh, Doug, uh, first of all, I uh, had a chance to watch the race in the Orioles this afternoon. Uh, mm-hmm. It uh, was not the Orioles' best day
6: um I don't know I mean um, they lost i mean that's that's for starters, yes, but um, I don't know time you go into you know Tampa and play two games and split i mean that's it's not a terrible thing. It was a really good win uh yesterday, and um yeah you know, I think that starting pitcher for Tampa was was pretty pretty good um. I know he's one of their their top prospects. He had – I mean, I watched a few of the innings, and, you know, he had a very live fastball on his breaking stuff. He commanded very well. Um, You know, Tyler Wells gave up four runs, two earned, which, you know, obviously that defense, you know, kind of let him down a little bit. And, um, you know, when you face a tough pitcher sometimes, you just don't score as many runs as as you should. But, um, you know, by and large, I think the Orioles, you know, they – they're playing okay right now. I still think they're in a little bit of a funk um, ever since they took that road trip to um, um, San Francisco and and Milwaukee. And, um, you know, they got a split, I guess, three and three. And then they came home and, and uh, they swept the Royals, which they should. Uh, But after that, I think it got a little rocky in there again. So we'll see. I mean, I don't, You know, they've got uh, Ryan Malcastle's got some issues with vertigo. He hasn't been in the lineup, although Ryan O'Hearn has has looked really good in his his stead there. Um, Cedric Mullins is is still out of the lineup. You know, that's two of their top-run producers. Um, You know, they're still trying to find a backup catcher. I think Adley Rushman's starting to show a little bit of wear and tear here, um, you know, from catching as much as he does. Uh, McCann was hurt, the backup catcher. So um, there's still some question marks in the bullpen. Ceno you know, Perez is just not himself. Um, I think they're missing an arm out there uh, at some point. You know, when they get to Cano and they get to Bautista, it's it's been pretty good. Um, but we can't do that every night. And I think that they're still missing missing some pieces there. So um, I don't know. We'll get back at it. Um, what I guess see against uh, they're off tomorrow. and Then I think they play a three game series with Seattle. Doug Hamilton,
1: our guest, is always in the final segment of our show, uh, PGA Professional. Uh, Doug spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks uh, detailing what that actually means. And uh, so, mm-hmm. Doug, I'll go back to you. Before I get Roger in here, I, I had asked Tony Lee a earlier to, uh, for a, a professional explanation of why Roy was able to reach into that bank and the, outside the trap, pick up the ball, and then put it up on not only back but forward, over the trap during the open, what 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 is the ruling on that?
6: Uh, sorry, you were uh, for some reason you were breaking up there. Um, I didn't hear all that. I apologize.
1: the The ruling on on Rory when he hit the ball, but the, not into the trap, but into the bank. They searched through, they found the ball. He pulled it out of the bank, but then he was allowed to take a glo- take his club on top of the bank. And take it out, move it closer to the fairway, and then hit the next shot. I don't, I didn't understand the ruling on that. There was no penalty. Did we lose Doug? Doug. Doug. Oh, we must have lost them. Well, I
2: can tell you the uh, the game, the Phillies uh, Braves game, is still on a delay.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching Sports Channel Philadelphia right now. They got you know a little filler, filler waiting for the. It was pouring rain a minute ago. They were on the field. Did you see it, Roger?
2: No, no. I'm sitting in my car. I'm oh, you're still in the car. The, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah I'm they, showed at the the, they showed the They showed
1: the field a minute ago. It's pouring. Yeah, and there's a lot of
2: people that are leaving. But I just checked the uh, their website, and of course, it's still in a delay. And I, I think what they they they're going to do everything and anything to get this game in because it's supposed to, uh, the weather's supposed to even get worse. Uh, the next couple of days. And if that's the case, then they're going to have two games to to make up because this is a four-game uh, series. And uh, then the Mets come in, as you said, Don, for the uh, weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So uh, who knows what the weather's going to be. But it's still raining. And uh, uh, originally they uh, thought that they would get it started at 7.15. Uh, you know, and uh, I was in my seat uh, and – Obviously, uh, the weather has deteriorated uh, over the last uh, a couple of hours, and that game was supposed, or the game was supposed to start at six forty, and uh, you know now we are at uh, what eight fifty, almost nine
3: o'clock.
1: So, who knows? Yes, this is they're gonna, gonna a they're gonna wait as long as they can. They don't want to double up with double headers, uh, as you said. Uh, they, they do have an off day in between there, but. Uh, they're certainly going to want to get it in. Let's get back to that. Doug is back on the line. We lost mm-hmm. him momentarily. Uh, Doug, I go mm-hmm. back to my question about the placing of the ball for Rory that was in the bank, that they had to look for it, found it in the side of the sand trap. Then he got to lift up on top, one one club blade from the top of the uh, the sand trap. Why was there a penalty
6: on that? What, um, when you asked Tony, what did he say? Because I, I don't. I never saw he, it,
1: I don't he, recall. Oh, okay. No, he said that it must have been because it were some you know, TV lines or something like that, or it was a uh, a view. It, it was a structure between where the ball was and the green. It didn't look like it was on, on the telecast, uh, but I didn't have the sound on so I never and I never saw in the paper mm-hmm. an explanation for what that was, so I don't know. I'll have to wait. You didn't see it either, so we'll have to wait until no, next I week. See we can't or see what happened. Some of your observations about the Open.
6: Um, I mean, I thought I thought the, um, you know, that golf course was was pretty fun to uh, to watch an Open on. I mean, obviously, I think it's a, a non-traditional style of course. Um, you know, when you think about the U.S. Open, you think about narrow fairways, you think about pretty tall rough, uh, very penal when you miss the fairway. Um, you know, in many cases, it's long um you know most of the golf courses so um you know there, some of these holes were were pretty I mean they played that par 3 at what 81 yards they played uh, a couple of the par 4s were under you know 300 or right about um so I mean it was it was fun to watch um you know I think it was it was good to see um Wyndham Clark um, kind of hold on there at the end I mean I think we saw you know basically three rounds of flash from uh Ricky Fowler who uh has been you know not even involved in in tournament play you know over the last several years I think that a lot of people were probably rooting for Roy McIlroy who hasn't won a major in 9 years so um you know just some basic observations I mean I you know it's great to watch uh those kind of guys hit shots um you know back nine on major Sundays and and that coupled with you know a a Father's Day I think is always wonderful and I think those two go very well uh, together in terms of the Open and Father's Day. And, you know, I think that, you know, myself, among many other people, um, you know, we look back at at some of the stuff I got the chance to spend the weekend with my folks and and my wife's folks, Um, you know, and it's, you know, I look look at where I am. We were talking about, you know, how you become a PGA professional and the steps that I've taken thereafter and, um, you know, the many years that I've spent you know, in the country club world and then making this transition. And I, you know, I go back to, you know, to my dad for Father's Day. And, you know, he's the one that stuck a golf club in my hand. And he's the one that, you know, air quotes put up with me on the golf course when it came to, the, you know, the little kid hacking it around and can't find my ball and, you know, all <laughs> these different things. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to be in in more of a full circle scenario where, you know, I can – You know, make a living out of this, teaching other people how to play and still enjoy the game and, um, you know, look back at how I got started. You know, I think that's really cool.
2: Doug, how old were you when you got your clubs?
6: (laughs) Well, um, I can tell you uh, that mom and dad used to play, and I was small enough that I could sit in the sweater basket of the golf cart um, and, and would go, you know, with them. And I remember, going down to my grandfather's house um my dad and they would do you know different club repair re-grip um back in the day when you had persimmon woods they would you know sand them down re-lacquer repaint you know whatever um re-whip all those sorts of things and i would watch what they were doing and ask questions and you know they did some pretty cool stuff and um you know we always had you know, spare whatever's laying around, you know, fairway woods drivers, et cetera. Um, and dad gave me a little, um, cut down version of a power built four-wood that I used to hack from, you know, tee to green. And I'm sure he has stories of, you know, seeing me hit good shots every now and again. And, um, you know, the first, I still have my first junior golf set, which was a Wilson staff set. Actually, I'm down here in my basement. It's, sitting in the corner over there um you know your standard putter wedge nine iron seven iron five iron driver um you know makeup and um there's that old that old four wood is is in that bag somewhere too um so yeah i mean um you know it takes a lot of patience as a parent to give your kids opportunities and then stick with it and and, and try to you know teach and coach and do different things and I mean, I remember the first golf lesson I ever got. Uh, turns out I found that guy later in life and sent him an email and just, you know, let him know that I had become a PGA professional, and I really appreciated the fact that, um, you know, I remembered certain things about the lesson that he did with me and lessons that they did. Um, so um, it's it's pretty cool, I guess, when you look back and, and understand, you know, obviously in the moment you don't understand it, but then when you do look back, you you get a better feel for it. So, um, you know, I take that into account when I was telling Frank I've got junior golf camp this week and there's, you know, a couple little tackers running around in there that are seven, eight, nine years old that hopefully will, you know, stick with this. And, and maybe something I tell them or show them or do or whatever, um, you know, gives them that same opportunity.
1: Well, let me first say the Phillies game has been officially postponed. They're going to play at one o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Hopefully, if this rain clears, which is not supposed to. Uh, we're supposed to have rain right straight through Sunday, so wherever you're listening to us tonight, uh, hopefully there will be again game tomorrow uh, at 1 o'clock. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Roger, uh, exactly what uh, Doug has, has put forward uh, is exactly what Father's Day and what we were talking about in the last segment, uh, what it's all about.
5: It's exactly
1: right. And uh, the reason I asked Doug
2: that question was when I asked Tony Leodora he didn't uh, play golf until he was 27 years old.
5: And he's now
2: played on 955 courses. So, uh, you know, and made a career and out of uh, the uh, golf, uh, the industry. and uh, But, Don, uh, you know, I was thinking about the Tony, and this goes back 40 years, about when he was at the Norristown paper and uh, was the uh, sports editor. And we, you know, kn- knew him in the sports uh, Writers Association, but also sitting up there on that first row with a lot of legendary sports writers, like uh, Bus State, okay, Uh, Alan Lewis. I mean, I just brought back memories. And, of course, Doug, you played college baseball at George uh, George Washington University. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's amazing how golf uh, can uh, interrelate. Uh, with baseball, and especially a lot of great baseball players are great golfers.
6: Yeah, I think, um, you know, golf is one of those things. It's obviously harder to pick up later in life, even if you are athletically inclined to do so. And, and, um, you know, I I would have a tendency to believe that if if your parents play golf or someone, you know, within your family plays golf, you obviously have a better chance because – you know families that have kids that no one plays golf you know why, why would they all of a sudden you know just want to pick the game up it, it wouldn't seem very logical unless you know maybe there was a buddy of theirs that was doing a golf camp or, or something of that nature so it, it gets incredibly difficult you know to pick up later in life and and um you know obviously i'm i bear the fruit of that with the people that i teach um, in many cases people come to me and they've never swung a golf club before and it's it's challenging and fun and rewarding all at the same time to to try to put a blueprint out there or a template for them to, to learn and, and uh, message delivery is important and you know how they learn and all those sorts of things um, you know as a kid it's it's more visual because you're just going to see and monkey see monkey do and um, so um, I take you know my hat off to to my dad and um, you know for him to give me that opportunity and um, you know at the right time hand the baton off to the right person to say look you know teach him some golf lessons and you know to play in, in the junior program you know where we grew up and and beat other kids and and you know at that time you're you know that golf wasn't cool really back then um so a lot of my friends didn't didn't play and I can remember you know mom writing me notes to go to the dentist or the doctor or whatever that were essentially the same as saying you know <laughs> go play golf because you don't really have a doctor's appointment that happened um, quite, a, quite a few times where I would, you know, probably leave school right after lunch and, and go to the golf course on a Friday afternoon and go play. Um, you know, it's you, you meet such um, a wonderful group of people. Um, you know, golf is, is a, a direct correlation, very linear to, to what life is, um, you know, in terms of teaching you so many wonderful things about how to interact with other people and what do you do when you hit a bad shot or you have a bad hole and how do you react to that. Um, you know, are you the kind you of have person to police
1: that, it yourself? That's the biggest thing you police well, yourself. You call, you call yeah. penalties on yourself.
6: Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you do when you walk up to your ball and it's the middle of the fairway and, you know, it happens to be in a crater that someone didn't put any sand back in, you know, do you move it out of there? Um, you know, when you're behind a tree, you know, all those sorts of things, you know, do you, you know, you really score a five, but you tell somebody you got a four, um, <laughs> you know, How do you deal with, you know, pace of play and and movement of of keeping up, you know, or what would you do if you went to the golf course as a single and they put you with three other people? How are you going to react to that social situation? I mean, you know, golf is you against you, you against the course. You don't need someone to throw you the ball. And it's based on your merit. How you play um, can only be solely blamed on yourself. And you have that same opportunity then to try to fix that in terms of getting better with your practice time and how you efficiently use that. So, um a lot of good parallels um really good game
1: before I go back to Roger 6-2 uh, LSU leads uh Wake Forest at the moment during the 6th inning. Roger you're up
2: yeah the um i'm just looking at the uh, the parking lot uh <clears throat> excuse me where i am the uh to um, move out but there is one guy in a Porsche uh who is parked on an angle and no parking and a good thing I saw him, uh, when I came back in the car because he was not there and he shouldn't be there. And, uh, I, I would have hopefully, um, uh, you know, not backed up into him, but, uh, you never, I'll tell you today. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, people, uh, they don't care if, if go by where they're supposed to park. They
0: figure, Oh, you
2: know, I can park any place. So, but the, yeah, the traffic is moving out. Um, But I'm I'm anxious to see when uh, Dan gets here. I don't know if we'll probably be – the show will be over to find out exactly how the schedule is going to work, because I guess it's going to be, what, a day-night doubleheader tomorrow, Don? Yeah, it looks like it. uh, Uh, I just saw it
1: had uh, NBC Philadelphia on, and (laughs) they said the game was postponed, that uh, tomorrow's game will be 1 o'clock, so tomorrow night's game would be the normal time, 6.40 or whatever time. So it's a day, I would assume, a day-night doubleheader.
2: Yeah, day night. <clears throat> excuse me.
1: But they got to be lucky because there's a lot of rain in the forecast.
2: Well, I, it's going to be interesting. I don't. I don't think they're going to get any of these games in. I mean, from if it's like this, they're just nobody's going to want to take a chance and playing and get somebody injured and and uh, could cause the, a, a real problem within uh, their um, uh, team and their performance for a period of time. I don't think you you know you don't want to take any chances. And uh, the uh, how's the weather down there in in Baltimore area, Doug? Because in New York it was fine.
6: Yeah, we we uh, we were fine, you know, until about I don't know, maybe ten or ten thirty uh, this morning, because um, you know I had I had a plan B for the kids in terms of uh, what we were going to do if it rained. We we got. Some putting and some a few things in, and then it started to rain a little bit, and so we did. Um, we we had a cornhole tournament that we did inside, and then and then we did um, we did a um, a fancy golf draft, uh, letting the kids pick some players for tomorrow's scores. Um, you know, and we'll give out some prizes on on Friday for that, and then we had lunch uh, around 10:30 ele- uh, 11, and then I cut them loose because I just I didn't want to take some of those kids out on the golf course and, and chance the fact that we would get far enough from the clubhouse that we would have, you know, a lot of drowned rats out there, so. Well, I'll
1: tell you, it's the first day of summer, but we have uh, just completed the coolest June. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's unbelievable. There were only four days. It was on the news earlier tonight. Actually, three days. They, they gave one day a little bit of a, a break that were over. Uh, you know, 70 degrees. I mean, we had nothing in 80, nothing. nothing. Uh-huh. Six,
2: 65 degrees when we pulled in here at the ballpark. And yeah.
3: It was, unbelievable.
2: No summer it was, yet. It was. No, we, uh, the, uh, maybe we won't get a summer,
1: the way the world <laughs> is today with weather. You never know.
2: We'll see.
6: Well.
1: well, Doug, how about the Orioles? Who do they have coming up?
6: Uh, yeah, I think we think we're, three game, We have day off tomorrow and then three-game series um, against At Seattle. Home? So. Yes.
1: In Seattle or, they, or in Baltimore? No, it's in Baltimore. In Baltimore, okay. I didn't know if they were on the road because they were in, in Florida today, so I didn't know whether they were on the road or whether they were home.
6: Yeah, no, they, they come back home for a little bit.
1: Anything new with the Ravens?
6: Uh, no news. I mean, you've got um, – I think they had a couple of days or a week or whatever that mini camp or uh, whatever, but there's, there's nothing going on there yet. Um, you know, I think they're uh, still fooling with the installation of that new offense, um, you know, and then, yeah, we'll see what happens after that. I mean, the goal, the goal this year is, is obviously to try to get through all of their training camp stuff with, uh, with no injuries. Um, you know i think they're they're probably going to have to add a few components uh that they're probably just waiting to see you know how things uh progress with certain players i would say particularly some of the rookies i mean i think they're probably uh a veteran corner uh short and probably a veteran pass rusher short so they'll probably you know no no one signed marcus peters um obviously he he knows the ravens and their fit and schemes and all those sorts of things so that, i'd say that was that would be um, you know, a decent addition to add a little depth their secondary, and then Justin Houston, he was also a Raven last year who had a pretty good year, renaissance year of I don't know, he had seven or so sacks, um, but I think um, you know, I, I think their the roster will round out nicely.
2: Say one thing, um, the players, a lot of players have nice trucks. You can see them all lined up going out of the parking garage <laughs> below me. And uh, I'll tell you what, Doug, just goes to show you, uh, when you have money, you can do everything, right?
6: Mm. Well, <laughs> you
2: know, a lot of those
6: guys have m- multiple garages full of you know, vintage and, and high-priced uh, vehicles as well as some some pretty good bling jewelry-wise and, and um, you know, whether it's, you know, necklaces or watches or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you got to spend it, I guess. So
1: Wake Forest putting a little bit of a rush bad. on, but they uh, have not been able to score yet. They got runners on first and third. They still trail five to two. Uh, one out, uh, runners on first and third. Uh, and it's the uh, top of the seventh inning. Wake Forest has played extremely well, but, LSU in the tournament, if you've been watching, has been played a little bit better. They uh, they've got a, a very very good team. Doug, yeah, we
6: we've been we've been watching quite a bit of the College World Series. Um, you know, I'll tell you guys, the the head coach at Wake Forest was my graduate assistant when I was at GW. Uh, so really, it's nice to see, yeah, it's nice to see Tom. Um, I mean, he he's a lot more grave and than, than what he was back in the day when. Well, I guess I am too, I suppose. Uh but um <laughs> he, he was he was a good guy. Um, well, it's there. It's you know, um it's a little grey on the side, salt and pepper I guess, but uh yeah, Co- coach Coach Walter was um was a was a, a guy, um, as a grad assistant that was that was I thought he was a little arrogant I think when I was when I was there, but I think you kind of have to be if you really want to be good at what you do. Um, and I, I, I like watching Wake Forest because I know, you know, some of the messages he's probably sending those kids are some of the same ones that, that, that I heard, um, you know, and he's had a, a good 14 year career at, at Wake Forest and really turned that program around. So it's, it's nice to see.
1: Well, I know our good friend, Pat Williams, who was a Wake Forest graduate and uh Joins us every now and then uh, with the with the magic, as well as the Philadelphia seventy sixers, and uh, I know he's following way Forrest tonight too. So they played very well so far, but LSU's played a little bit yeah. better. Roger, well, yeah.
3: yeah,
2: Doug, I wanted to <clears throat> excuse me. I wanted to ask
1: you, uh, wasn't on tonight.
2: Uh, has mm-hmm. anything developed on the uh, Matson, uh, you know, issue uh, with the mm-hmm. uh, the Nationals? Yeah. And I know, oh, yeah, go ahead. We you, we haven't we didn't have a chance because Mike wasn't with us tonight. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, I saw that the the DC area um, there was there was some there was some kind of an email that I got that said it was a game changer based on whether it was sports programming or an additional channel or, or something of that nature. But I think the payout that Masson uh, doled out actually I think it was both to the Orioles and to the Nats was right around a hundred million each uh, to those guys. Mm. Apparently that. Went through the court system, and somebody appealed, and somebody struck it down, and then somebody appealed, and you know, at the end of the day, it was it was right around a hundred million dollars. Uh, I think they paid out to both teams, so
2: that they can get that settled uh, for uh, you know the Nationals. Uh,
1: Don brought it up uh, earlier about uh, that they're valued at what six six billion. Six billion. That's what they're well. That's what they're asking. Whether what, what that's what could be the number uh, I was saying earlier because uh, Steinbrenner was on. Uh, the fan over on, on yes this afternoon and uh he talked about they they suggested well you know if is worth six billion Yankees may be worth 11 <laughs> would you uh would you consider selling and he said no we're it's a family operation we're not we're not selling the New York Yankees the no, we ourselves the parents the grandkids and and the kids are all involved it's a family operation and uh, mm-hmm. The money is not uh, what we're looking at. Even though it could be 11 billion, or what it could be, nobody knows what the real number would be. Yeah. yeah
2: well, I, they they bought it from CBS, didn't he? Uh, yeah.
1: You know, George.
2: Yeah. The only franchise, the only franchise, CBS.
1: Roger, that ever lost money. Yeah.
2: Yeah. With the you know, they bought CBS, it for less.
1: Sir. They bought it for less than CBS paid for it.
2: Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That just shows you uh, how the corporate operation just didn't work.
1: You, know, you get too many irons in the fire, and it's pretty hard to make other things operate. And that's what happened. They, uh, yeah. you know, they they didn't have the right personnel to uh, to generate uh, a winning program and and the farm system and all the things. That, you know, it's not that easy. Uh, Doug, you can attest to this. It's It's not that easy to to fill the form system and you get scouts into all the things that are necessary behind the scenes uh, to to make your franchise a a
6: real volatile franchise. Well, I mean, I think in the world we exist in with baseball and the rules and and how it's played today, I would say you're right. Um, You know, but if everybody had a level playing field, I think it would be a little different. Um, You know, if, if the Yankees don't do very well in their in their draft picks, they just go buy somebody, right? So you know they're going to fix it one way or the other.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately this year it's not helping them.
6: <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm
1: glad. I'm glad. I hope I hope yeah. they finish in last yeah, place but, and I hope they're so miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <You
3: know>?
2: <laughs>
1: Roger. <laughs> no,
2: you knew that was, that answer was coming, Don.
1: Yeah,
6: I, mean, I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's here's three hundred million dollars. Go buy a baseball team, you know, salary and, and payroll and then finish in last place. You know, they should fire every single human being that works there if they can't make the playoffs. Well, we're
1: gonna have to leave it right there, boys. We're out of time. Roger, thank you very much to all our guests. Thank you very week. much, Doug. We'll do it again next mm. week. Uh, thank you as well. Yes, sir. And our executive producer, Frank Carroll, will now take us to the home stretch. Uh,
3: all I want to thank everybody for being on tonight, especially all our God unusual. God. Uh, uh, we want to thank uh, our Lou for calling in, uh, Tony for calling in, and Billy for calling in. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every day that we can give appreciation. And then men the United States Armed Forces and the Middle and Police Fire Services, when you're out there and see somebody in a uniformed police, give them a chance, shake their hand, give them a wink, whatever it is. Let them know you know they're there. Not everybody in the uniform is bad. These programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in line of duty. W. Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Kolkak, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman oh, Jeffrey okay. Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Pager, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, oh, yeah. Patrolman Charlie Condit, at Tarpon Springs Police Department, mm-hmm. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Department Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant they're Joyce they're Craig the Lewis, Philadelphia Fire the Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department. The so, so, Sergeant so, so, Charles so, Lake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's so, Department. Patrolman so, so, and Uncle Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe so, Zerber, so, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's so, so, Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikas, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis, Wilmington Fire Department. Patrolman, Trooper Joe Bullock, Hart Plato Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Ohio. Highway Patrol. Chief Al Ogle, Long Road Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Williams the Fire Department. Finales County Deputy Sheriff Mike Hargrove. Deputy, County, Deputy uh, Blaine Lee, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Meyer, uh, Polk County Sheriff's Department. And Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, uh, Philadelphia State. Sheriff's Department, and the Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly in your fields and sunlight, sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the Lord keep you and your families always in the power of his hands. And
4: God bless you and have week. Shema lekma yelama, shema he Ma, yelama, sona shene voratfet
5: I'll
4: mean a fiery blaze
3: Dispatch to 1999. County dispatch to 1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be advised. 1999. Responded to a class emergency. May God rest his soul and all the souls that they have